Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today, this is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hext. Welcome to the latest episode of Trojans Wired, the podcast, which is a production of the website Trojans Wire. And uh, we were excited to announce that our podcast can be found at Google and Apple and Spotify and the other places where you like to get your podcasts. I'm here, Matt Zemick, with my producer, Ian Hest, talking about USC recruiting. It's a hot topic. Lincoln Riley making a difference, making an immediate impact as expected with USC football, and we have a great guest to help us break this down and, and provide some perspective and context on it. Chris Trevino of uscfootball.com, 247 Sports, does a great job covering all things USC football. So, Chris, thanks for joining us on the Trojans Wired podcast. And the obvious just starting point is, how do you think the landscape has changed? How do you think uh, the calculus is different after Lincoln Riley's arrival, after this early signing period, how much do you think uh, has changed uh, for USC football and, for that matter, the, the state of play in the Pac-12? Uh, yeah. Uh, first off, thanks, guys, for having me on. I'm really excited. I uh, appreciate it. Um, and, yeah, the landscape has, you know, I tweeted this out when the, the, the news first hit that Lincoln was coming to, to USC that the whole college landscape, everybody felt this giant earthquake, sort of a metaphorical earthquake, just shake out over the landscape of college football. And that's exactly what we've seen start, the, the, the tremors of that start to happen, you know, with kids, national kids uh, starting to look at USC, national writers starting to pay a little more attention to USC. Obviously, USC is a traditional blue blood that has been down for several, several seasons, several years, and college football is just better when USC is what USC can be. And, you know, that's the reason why the administration went out. They knew what they had to do. They had to revitalize USC football. And they went out and they swung for the fences and they hit a grand slam. You know, they they poached a blue blood coach for their blue blood program. And that's, that's what USC is. That's what USC does. And, you know, uh, Mike Bone, the USC athletic director, said it in his opening statements about when the, when Lincoln was introduced that the sleeping giant of the, the West is waking up. And I think that's that's sort of what every big time college football fan and every, you know, college coaches across the country are seeing right now is that the sleeping giant that is USC that has been dormant for the last several years is waking up. And that's a scary thought for the rest of the Pac-12. That's a scary thought for all the other big boys on the national landscape. And it's an exciting fact for USC fans that have been waiting uh, for this to happen. 
All right, I think my first follow-up, Chris, for you is going to be, you know, the fact that some uh, prospects are delaying their announcements until January, and some might not announce until February. How much this is a product of Lincoln Riley making prospects reconsider their choices? How much do you think it's just a a new fact of life in college football with, you know, the transfer portal with all of the other uh, uncertainties we see on rosters across the country in this modern age. Um, how, you know, how much do you think it's that this was going to happen regardless of situation? How much do you think Lincoln Riley is particularly affecting it? And what should USC fans be expecting in terms of January and February commits? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I think a little bit of it is just with the whole uncertainty of the early signing period. It's, 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 it screws up the timeline for a lot of new coaches that are coming in, they have to hit the ground running, which Lincoln did. But I think a large, a large part of it is just because of the power of Lincoln Riley. You know, he comes in, he's got all this energy, he's got all this momentum, and he's coming to kids that maybe were on the fringe about USC under the last administrations, uh, those uncertainties about who the next head coach was going to be. And now they're listening. You know, it, it's hard to make that decision maybe in a two-week span, but just, you know, getting Lincoln in on the phone with you and then, you know, getting an in-home visit and saying, I just want you to take a little bit more time to think about us. Take a little bit more time to consider USC and, and what we're building here. I understand that you need a little bit more time because this is a big decision. You know, it's a life-changing decision, but just take a little more time. And I think kids have been listening to that and you've seen kids sort of take take the foot off the, the recruiting gas and sort of like, let's slow down. Let me take my time with this process. Signing in December yeah, if I'm going to be early and enrollee, you know, that make, that's the better decision for me. But if it, Lincoln being able to get these kids to kind of take a second, take a breath and really consider USC the whole thing. I think it's I think it's a lot. To, it speaks to a lot. It speaks a lot to sort of the, the sway that Lincoln has, the swagger that he has and just how good of a recruiter he is. Um, if, you know, Lincoln had come in or if anyone had come in a little bit later, I don't think you'd be seeing as many kids sort of hold back a little bit more. And there is a lot of big fish out there. This isn't going to be a huge class for USC, but it's going to be a quality class just from the early, you know, returns we've seen uh, based on early signing day. But, you know, you still have a CJ Williams out there. You still have a Javante Barnes. You still have a Cyrus Moss. All those guys will be announcing in January. And you still have one of the bigger fish, Josh Connerly, you know, the five-star offensive tackle out of Washington. Uh, USC just got their O-line coach, so that will give them a little bit boost. They have more time to talk to him as he's going to be signing in February. Devin Campbell, I know he has eliminated everyone but Texas and Oklahoma, but you have they brought in a very nice O-line coach who maybe can get him to reconsider. Just more time is the, the benefit of a new coach coming in, and it's a huge benefit for a recruiter like Lincoln Riley. And I think USC fans will be happy you know, down the line. I know signing or early signing day in December wasn't as uh, – splashy as maybe some would have expected they were you know there wasn't uh there wasn't an expectation of a lot of surprises uh but i think this one this cycle you had to take into account being patient just because lincoln had to grind to get a lot of those kids to to think about to reconsider usc took a lot of they got a lot of people on campus for visits um, but i think you're going to see that payoff in january in february so this is a, a a marathon not a sprint for this cycle so Patience is what USC fans should be uh, keying on. All right. You know, you mentioned at one point in your answer, and it was a really good and detailed answer that, you know, it's not going to be a huge class, but it's going to be a quality class. So where do you think USC stands in terms of, you know, balancing those two considerations, you know, getting depth, getting bodies and getting quality 
And, you know, we've seen, like, we saw Jed Fish in Arizona flip an Oregon receiver commit, and that knocked Oregon back uh, about 15 spots in the Pac-12 recruiting rankings. But, like, that's an overall recruiting ranking. It's not necessarily the, uh, the, you know, it, it, it factors in lots of different things. So, you know, people might get mixed up in terms of recruiting rankings, you know, what what that's based on in terms of number of prospects, in terms of quality of prospects. So where do you think USC stacks up in the Pac-12 on those two fronts? What shifts or movements have you seen that really caught your eye the past few days? Yeah, I mean, the the Pac-12 feels like a because there's a lot of changes. You know, Washington got a new coach. Oregon's obviously in a new coach. There's been a lot of like. Uh, coaching changes, you know, assistants leaving, assistants staying, you know, all these things that had to be worked out. And I think USC, so USC started the day at like 102, I think. Right now they're at 70, number nine. I do not expect that to hold at all. You know, I think it's, uh, I bet, bet put money on it that they will be inside the top 50 when it comes to, to, to January. And with an outside shot of maybe going into the top 35 by the time uh, February comes around, especially if they can haul in a guy like Josh Connerly, or maybe, like I said, get Devin Campbell to reconsider. But also the other thing with USC being a, such a small class from high school prospect perspective, Lincoln is also making a concerted effort to attack the transfer portal. Uh, here at 247, you know, we sort of factor in transfer portal uh, recruits now. This cycle will be factored into uh, the overall recruiting class that you take in. So you can look at it from just the high school, high school signing perspective, your transfer class, and then that will factor into an overall class. Um, we expect USC to hit the transfer portal hard, and I think that's going to help them rise up the overall rankings. You know, Lincoln mentioned in his signing day presser that he expects maybe somewhere between 35 scholarship over overhaul with this team. You know, they're they're, they're telling kids, you know, you know, I, I think it's in your best interest to maybe go somewhere else. I don't think there'll be a lot of playing time here for you. So he has to overhaul a big chunk of this, this roster. And you can uh, help move along the team quicker by going after the transfer portal, getting older players, experienced guys. And they've been dishing out a, a couple offers here and there every time, every, every couple of days, it seems like, in the transfer portal. So we, we expect uh, Lincoln and his staff to really – hone in on the portal. They've already got one guy, Earl Barquette, the TCU defensive tackle transfer. Um, He's a nice little pickup, you know, doesn't have a ton of experience, but he is an older body. He is experienced. He has a a couple of games under his belt. Um, So, and they especially need help on the defensive line. So I I would say the transfer portal is going to help USC climb up these Pac-12 rankings and these national rankings in the coming months. Chris, how much does like the recruiter rankings play a part in all of that? And, and you know, who Lincoln's staff develops and, and what that might look like in terms of how good this class will look, I don't know, five, six months from now. Do you mean just like the overall recruiters that he's bringing in yeah, right now? With right, staff? like, like how, how they might impact what the, the rankings will look like. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean... I've mentioned this on our board a couple of times, but the staff that, that Lincoln has built so far, and that's nine of the 10 positions have been filled, um, are just young guys. And he's got a couple of big name recruiters already on the staff. You know, a guy like uh, Dennis Simmons, who was a top 25 recruiter 
in the cycle last year, obviously retaining Dante Williams, which is huge, the two-time Pac-12 recruiter of the year, and finished number five in the in our rankings uh, last year in the recruiter rankings. Um, Jamar Kane, he was also a top 25, top 30 uh, recruiter in our rankings too. So you got three elite recruiters, and that's not even factoring in that Lincoln himself is a big dog recruiter. You know, you don't really talk a lot about head coaches being you know, elite, elite recruiters, you know, your head coach has to be able to recruit. Some of them aren't, you know, elite level recruiters, but Lincoln is one of those elite level recruiters. He's one of those guys whose name carries a lot of cachet when he walks into a a recruit's house or he goes to a high school. He has that type of of swagger and uh, name recognition. Um, So right there, you have four elite recruiters. Uh, and I would even throw in their new offensive line coach, Henson. He is an elite recruiter too. So that's five of your 11 staff positions are elite recruiters. So USC is about to start taking off in terms of what they're building with their classes. I mean, 20, 2022 will not be like a elite level top five class, but 2023 is already starting to take off. You have Zachariah Branch, the younger brother of Zion Branch, who committed to USC uh, last week. He's a five-star prospect in our rankings. He is going to be doing a Christmas Eve signing. I have my crystal ball in for USC. So that 2023 class is already off to a fantastic start. And I expect that to be, I expect that class to contend as one of the top classes in the country next cycle. And because the staff that Lincoln is building is a recruiter class, I mean, a recruiter uh, staff. USC's recruiter staffs under Clay Helton were very lackluster. Maybe you had one really re- good recruiter who had to recruit several positions for a bunch of different coaches, a la T. Martin. Um, or in this case, the defensive side, the defensive staff, Clay Helton's last defensive staff, was a pretty good recruiting class, a recruiting staff across the board, but the offensive side of the ball wasn't recruiting at the, the level of the defensive coaches. So it just felt half full. You know, you, you never really saw USC recruiting at its full potential. And Lincoln has really changed that with the guys he's brought in. All young guys, all guys that have been where they, they have been at, they've been considered good recruiters to elite recruiters. So if you're not recruiting on the staff, you're going to go. You know, there's going to be an expectation that they're going to go out there and build this roster with the best talent in the nation. So you need to bring in good recruiters for that. And that's sort of the, uh, the angle Lincoln has taken so far with this staff. All right. Now, I'll ask a, a question about the USC roster. Uh, in just a bit. But first, I want to kind of uh, follow up on something that you mentioned about, you know, the, the staff being, uh, you know, and its emphasis on recruiting, its emphasis on youth, that this is a young staff. We also are seeing Oregon having a very young coaching staff under Dan Lanning. So it really seems as though energy on the recruiting trail is a priority, both for Lincoln Riley and for Dan Lanning, as USC and Oregon continue their recruiting rivalry under two new coaching staffs. And my my question for you, Chris, on this particular point is there's a lot of Texas ties from, uh, you know, on this USC coaching staff. I mean, partly it's because Lincoln Riley grew up in Texas, coached Oklahoma. He obviously needed to recruit Texas extremely well, but it's still noticeable that he has a very significant Texas flavor on his coaching staff. So what what do you think uh, this says about Lincoln Riley's recruiting philosophy or approach. I mean, how like he's is he going to lean a lot on Texas or is is he also going to try to to uh, hit the the deep south as well? I mean, wh- what do you think the balance is going to be in terms of 
how national and how how uh, regional uh, his recruiting philosophy is going to be at USC. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting question or interesting, you know, dynamic to kind of look at because, you know, you could take it back to Clay Helton's last staff. They had a lot of guys with Texas connections on there, obviously, as well. You know, they had Graham Harrell. They had Mike Jinks. They had uh, Brian Carrington, who they poached over, who was a high profile recruiter on their support staff. They brought him over and you could definitely see they were making a concerted, a conceited effort to recruit the Lone Star State, recruit Texas. And it became kind of a talking point among the message boards and media like, is USC valuing tech, is the last staff valuing on Texas kids as opposed, as opposed to maybe some of the, the local uh, California recruits? So, and obviously, if you're a USC, you have to recruit California. You just have to lock down that talent. That should be your number one main priority. And Lincoln has already come out and said that multiple times, you know, his opening press conference and obviously his early signing day conference. And then every media talk show he's, he's done, media appearance, he's, he's, he's been hitting on that USC has to recruit California. He talked about it when he was at Oklahoma that he would come out here because they have some of the best athletes in the country. And he emphasized that here, California has some of the best athletes you're going to find out here in the country. So their number one priority is going to be locking down the talent at home. If there's a top kid in California, it should be a no doubt that he's going to USC. When USC was good, he said this on, on, on Wednesday, or sorry, Friday, Friday. He said when USC was good, there, there was little doubt that, that kid was going to go to USC. You know, it was going to be a really, really tough battle to come into California and pull that kid away from USC. When USC was down, you know, it was a lot easier to come in and maybe poach a couple of kids. Lincoln wants that to be the case where USC is good again. You're not going to get any other kids out of their backyard. And he said, you know, kids around the West Coast grew up wanting to play at USC. USC has not given them a reason to hold up to that. You know, they have to give them a reason to stay in California. So when USC at its best, it's going to be incredibly tough to pull anyone away from California. So I think his number one emphasis will be keeping the talent at home. But he also has mentioned they're going to recruit nationally. And that's kind of what he did at Oklahoma. You know, he didn't have the the biggest uh, uh, fertile landscape that California and Oklahoma are very different. Every once in a while, they would have a really top, a good top recruit out of Oklahoma, keep them home. He's going to have that uh, reverse effect here where he's going to have multiple top kids out of California, keep all those home. And then he's going to be able to go across the country and pick kids from Florida or the South or the Midwest or Ohio, wherever. So I think it's going to be mainly emphasize California and then poach kids from other national places like Texas, like Ohio, like Florida, uh, the DMV, Maryland out there. So I think that's sort of what the strategy is going to be. And obviously, I think he's going to have to lean on the South and Texas more for offensive linemen because, and defensive linemen because California, you know, has sort of had like a dry spell when it comes to producing top, top end national offensive line and defensive line talent. The big boys are in the South; they're in Texas, so it does help that he has a Texas staff and Texas roots. So that's going to make it so much easier for him to go in there and recruit, knowing that he knows that landscape already. Chris, do you feel like there's a need for this to be a national program or could you just specifically do California and be good? That's an interesting question, but I would say you would need to be 
a national program because that's what USC, USC's name carries so much weight across the college football landscape that, you know, when I talk to kids in Florida or when I talk to kids in Ohio or I talk to kids in uh, Massachusetts or whatever, you know, they all know a USC, you know, they all know Reggie Bush, they all know Pete Carroll. Well, not all of them, but you know what I'm saying? They, they, they understand what Reggie did there. They understand right. yeah. the, the, the history of USC. So in that sense, you, they have that advantage of, you know, USC is regarded as like one of the top five college programs of all time. Use that to your advantage. That advantage being you can go into states across the country and pull kids out. You know, you're not going to be pulling out 10 kids across the country, but if you could pick for every cycle from different states, you know, that's sort of the ideal model because you have a lot of talent right there in California, as I mentioned. So I think you could build some really good classes just with California, West Coast kids, Utah, Washington, recruiting that area. But for USC to be truly USC, you need to be able to pull, you know, that kid from Florida, that kid from Texas one year, that kid from Louisiana. You need to be able to take a couple of those kids every cycle to, to sort of know send the message that you can go anywhere and pull a kid out all right chris so let's talk about usc's roster and particularly the transfer portal because uh you know there there we don't we aren't yet at 10 transfers and so, so this is a two-parter one what's the timeline for what how we should expect when we should expect more transfers to announce leaving usc as lincoln riley makes the overhaul of the roster that he wants to execute. And secondly, when, when that transfer portal exodus and that pipeline gets to a point where it's flowing a lot more rapidly, uh, what are the positions that, which USC and Lincoln Riley are, are most likely to target? Now, I mean, at first glance, it would seem to be that the offensive and defensive lines are, you know, where USC has to start first, that this has to be built inside out, that USC has to, remake itself first and foremost with the toughness that we all know is was sorely lacking under clay helton so transfer portal timeline uh in terms of the usc's numbers uh leaving and then what you think the positions of needs are and how that's going to take shape yeah so we've seen obviously like you mentioned we've seen some so a handful of uh you know kids either declare or you know already put their name in the transfer portal you know, USC and Lincoln Riley, the staff, were, were holding meetings with players, you know, one-on-one meetings. That's where we were told. Um, I'm not sure if that's been with the entire staff or the entire roster so far. That could be just with, you know, the top half of the roster so far. Maybe more will be done after signing day. But I would expect more. You'll see uh, you, we should expect a steady stream of more kids, you know, entering the portal when January rolls around. You know, winter workouts or when uh, Lincoln Riley will be starting up his winter workouts in January. Traditionally under Helton, they've been a little bit later, like in February. So he's getting an earlier start here uh, in the new year. So I would expect, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. These new work winter workouts, you know, he's bringing a program, a championship program. Uh, He he knows he's bringing what he did at Oklahoma to here, brought his uh, strength and conditioning uh, coach, Benny Wiley over. So we're expecting, you know, a lot of these kids are going to be talking about how tough these new workouts are. You know, this is a, a college playoff program, what they did over there at Oklahoma that's coming in here. So I'm expecting you'll see some kids after the winter workouts, during the winter workouts. You know, maybe this isn't for me. You know, this is going to be a, por- a portion where you feel like they're going to try to weed out kids. 
You're going to want to see who the toughest kids are. You're going to want to see who's going to stick, who's going to, who's going to tap out. So as, as far as, as far as the timeline, I would expect, you know, the next month we should see more kids with the winter workout starting. We're going to see who wants to tough it out, who wants to really be a part of this program. Um, and in terms of what they need to hit in the portal. Yeah. I mean, Lincoln said there is no position that they would not look at to help with this team. You know, that's, that's quarterback to kicker. Everything is going to be on the table in terms of what they're looking at to come in and help them for next season. Um, but I think the main ones is obviously defensive line. I mean, USC was so banged up last year and there's still a lot of question marks, you know, will Brandon Peely be hundred percent? Will he even be on the roster next year? Same goes for Ishmael Sopcher. He was had a lot of expectations, but only played in one game. Will he be on the roster next year? That is that is unclear. You know, Alex Grinch's defensive front needs to be fast, needs to be more athletic. Those guys are, you know, conducive more to a, you know, eat up blockers kind of defense. You know, not really just uh, going after the quarterback. They're just there to take up space. So do they fit in that mold? I mean, we're going to see in the next couple of months. But I think defensive line is where they really have to hit the portal. They really need some edge rushers, um, especially with, you know, Juliano Falonico, Hunter Eccles, both in the portal. Drake Jackson, he is expected to go to the NFL draft. That's your top three edge rushers. You know, you signed an edge rusher in Devin Tompkins, but he is a raw prospect. He's only played like nine games of high school football after playing basketball. A lot of upside, but that's going to take some time. You know, they've they've, uh, offered uh, Jared Verse the top 10 transfer prospect edge rusher out of uh, Albany. You know, he is a sack specialist. He had nine and a half sacks last year, um, trying to take his talents to the power five after, you know, competing at the FCS level. Um, a lot of national schools want him. USC hopes he comes there. He'd probably be an impact day, day one, one kind of guy. Um, so I think they need more talent off the edge, uh, whether that's edge rushers or, de- or defensive ends. Um, I think defensive line has got to be the biggest place they have to hit. And I think they need at least a couple more offensive linemen. I mean, if you get a Josh Connerly, that's a that's a, a big freshman impact player. You know, it's hard to contribute year one on the offensive line. Um, but that's why I think they need some depth at the offensive line position. Um, you got Andrew Voorhees coming back. You got Brett Nealon coming back. We expect Justin Dieter to come back, who was their starting left guard. Um, you had two redshirt freshmen that started the season ended up in backup backup roles, but they have really nice upside in Cortland Ford and Jonah Monheim. So that's a really nice group right there, but I still think you need at least one more veteran to come in, especially on the edge. Maybe he can play that left tackle for you, kick Andrew Voorhees back inside. One of those freshmen, Ford or Monheim, can take over the right tackle spot. So I think you need at least one to two more veteran bodies to help bolster out that depth on the offensive line. So like you said, trenches is where I think he absolutely has to start with a little more emphasis on that defensive front. Chris, do you have a problem with like all of this in this post NIL world where, where like there's the portal, there's NIL, there's all this ability to like move and shake and, and live in LA and, and shine bright. You say, do I have a problem? Well, I mean, is it, is it prop? Do you find it problematic is what I guess I'm saying. Uh, I mean, that's just the, I mean, USC has the inherent advantage of being in a place like LA where, you know, people want to live, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here, you know, Lincoln Riley mentioned on his signing day that the NIL, uh, opportunities were endless in a place like USC, 
you know, you see, you see other schools, you know, trying to work NIL to their advantage. Um, I don't think we've truly seen USC take full advantage of the NIL um, opportunities yet. I mean, obviously there's been some transition, so we'll start to see that flesh out more in the coming cycles, you know, and NIL is still like a new beast, you know, no one really knows what it's going to turn into. So I think everyone is still sort of trying to figure out, you know, what's going to go on with NIL. What are the big rule changes that will be coming? I think it's still like everyone's just trying to get their footing with it, but I expect USC, you know, to try to take a little bit more advantage of it under Lincoln Riley. All right, Chris, final question on our show. It's been great. Um, you know, I think these are two standard issue recruiting questions that we get for just about any school in any cycle. What's the prospect left on the board that USC really needs to make sure to get into its class? And what's the prospect who would really take USC's class to another level or phrased differently, you know, like would enable USC's class to exceed uh, expectations to a significant degree? So the, like the class sustainer and the and the class maker in terms of uh giving usc a real catapult into into spring ball hmm great question love the question um i think it's sort of the same person for both questions but i'm going to give you an alternate answer as well i think i've mentioned josh connerly multiple times on this 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 podcast and i think Landing Josh Connerly in February, you know, he's put off his signing until, you know, the normal or the traditional uh, signing period. But Josh Connerly would absolutely be like the crown jewel for USC fans in this class, more so than Relique Brown, more so than Damani Jackson, just because USC offensive line recruiting has been just abysmal, maybe is a little too harsh, but they haven't landed a blue chip offensive lineman in what feels like forever. Austin Jackson is the last one that comes to mind now off in the NFL, but college football games and, you know, eventually national championships are won in the trenches. We mentioned that a little bit here, but USC needs to start recruiting at a high level with the offensive lineman. I think that's going to be turning around soon with the addition of Henson as the offensive line coach, but Connerly is a guy that you can tell is very interested in going to USC. He's taken multiple visits uh, to the Trojans throughout the season. Um, he's held off his signing period. You know, it seems that USC is setting up to, to really make a push to sign him in the end. And obviously it represents landing a West Coast offensive lineman. West Coast has struggled, as I mentioned, to put out consistent national offensive line prospects. And landing Connerly, a guy in your backyard, like I talked about, landing the kids on the West Coast would also, you know, just be a huge statement. Like, we're keeping this guy at home. We're keeping him on the West Coast. We're keeping him in the Pac-12. You know, we're tired of Oklahoma or Auburn or Alabama taking these guys. We need to keep these guys in the Pac-12. So I think he would be the guy that would absolutely send this class to just, like, new heights in terms of fan expectations. Um, and I think it's the same for just land like your first part of your question, like a, a necessity guy that you want to sign. But I will also throw in CJ Williams, the uh, five-star caliber wide receiver out of uh, modern day. He will be announcing at the All-American Bowl in, in San Antonio. Um, it's much like I just mentioned with USC struggling with offensive linemen. USC has wildly struggled to sign top, wide receiver prospects out of California, which is just a crazy sentence to say in its own, 
just knowing all the top wide receivers that USC assigned out of California and then made them stars in the Pac-12. And then they went on to do all these great things in the NFL. You know, Robert Woods, uh, Michael Pittman, uh, Amaranthe Brown, you know, the list goes on and on. Juju Smith-Schuster. USC is known for, for taking local wide receivers and then absolutely making them stars. And USC has struggled heavily to keep a lot of those guys in California the last several cycles. So landing CJ Williams, another guy who has, you know, shown a lot of interest in USC despite being committed to Notre Dame. He always felt like, oh, he really wants to stay home, but USC is not giving him the reason to. You know, landing him would be a, another big message. You know, you're not taking our top wide receiver, our top wide receiver prospects out of the state. You know, you have Makai Lemon committed for the 2023 class. That's a good start, but you want to get someone in there this year that can help for next season. You know, USC's wide receiver core will be losing Drake London. You know, there isn't a lot of impact, high-end caliber talent on the wide receiver unit. You need to bolster, you need to fill those uh, that, that war chest of wide receiver talent back up. You know, if you land C.J. Williams, Makai Lemon next year, next season. You know, Zachariah Branch, he is, be, like I said, Christmas Eve signing or a commitment. You know, that's a great start to getting all those local West Coast guys back in the mix for the Trojans. All right. Chris Trevino, you want to follow his work. He, he's at 247 Sports. You can follow his work at uscfootball.com. Does an outstanding job covering USC football. And, of course, right now, we're all talking about USC football recruiting. So you want to follow what Chris does uh, and, and keep abreast of the latest developments with USC football recruiting. Chris, thanks for giving us so much good detail, insight, context, perspective. We really thank you for joining us on the Trojans Wired podcast. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Yeah, happy holidays to you guys. And, again, thanks for having me on. I really, I really enjoyed it.